0: Lesson 26, we're uh, continuing on with our uh, study in Proverbs. We're in part four now of Proverbs, Exalting Righteous Living. And again, let me just make mention, we're, again, we're going to look at various different Proverbs. We're going to talk about various different things. And a lot of them, though, we'll, we'll see we're dealing with the same issues over and over again. So if I want you to look at verse 28 of chapter 17... And again, it has to do with the issue of speech, of speaking. And so, notice what Solomon writes in verse 28. Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. perceptive." Now, notice here, the issue now is, is that silence is an evidence of wisdom. Here's what Solomon is saying. You could take a very foolish person, but yet when he holds his tongue or when he doesn't say anything, even though he may be completely foolish, people will think that he's wise. Why? Because just speaking your mind, this is the issue. We've talked about this before. Just speaking your mind, just saying it like it is, which in our culture today, we seem to think that we can just do that. Just saying it like it is really is not a sign of wisdom. But what is it a sign of? Foolishness. But more so than that, think about it for a moment. When you have somebody who just kind of says it like it is, what does that really say about that person? Not just they're foolish. What does it really say about them? Ramona says rude. Anybody else? Insensitive. What else? Prideful, Betty says. Okay, anybody else? Okay, they don't have control of their tongue. All right, you hear what Marilyn says. And Marilyn, I would go one step further. They don't have control. It's not just the issue of controlling their tongue. They don't have control of their mind. They don't have control of their emotions. They don't have control because all of that then comes out with their what? They're saying something. They're saying something. Now, you can even delve deeper with somebody who who just speaks their mind and recognize that maybe some of the issues are, and there's a great study that I would encourage you to do, it's search for significance, that maybe somewhat that that person may be struggling with their self-image and how they make up for it is by answering all the time, coming up with an answer for something. But really, what ends up happening, they look what? Yeah, they end up getting, getting a lot worse. They end up looking foolish. So, what he's saying here is that silence is an evidence of wisdom. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Before, and Remember, these are general statements. General statements of little tidbits of wisdom. So, let me just kind of help you out here, Mary, folks. Next time you're in a fight, don't just button up. And your spouse says, well, how come you're not talking to me? George says, silence is a sign of wisdom. You know, don't do that. Don't do that, all right? That's not what he's talking about here. Although it can be in your spousal relationships. But be wise about doing that, okay? Look at now at verse 1 of chapter 18. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. Now, here's what it is. An antisocial person is self-centered and unreasonable. An antisocial person is self-centered and unreasonable. So, you take someone who isolates themselves from everybody else. The simple fact that they're doing that, that they're isolating themselves from everyone else. Because remember now, God created us to be relational people. You realize that? God created us to have interaction with each other. So when you take somebody who isolates themselves, where is their focus? Yeah, completely on themselves. And not only that, when you try to talk to somebody like that who is so self-centered, isolates themselves, how are they as far as listening to anybody else? yeah I mean they're not they're not listening they're, you, you can't talk to them they have their own opinion and if their opinion it doesn't matter about anything you know to them the the sky may be black yeah the, the, you know they're right all right look at verse two now the issue of instruction. a fool has no delight in understanding but in expressing his own heart okay here's the point. And again, listen to what it, how they describe a foolish person. A fool prefers to give his opinion rather than acquire wisdom. A fool, so like for instance, have you ever been in a situation where, and this happens to me a lot as a pastor, you're, you're sitting down with folks and maybe there's two individuals there and they're, maybe they're in the field of engineering. So they're talking about engineering stuff. What's the best thing for me to do in a situation like that? Here's my point. If I just gave my opinion, and I don't have any clue what they're talking about, what does that make me look like? Now, this is the point he's making. See, a fool, listen listen to what he's looks like, has no delight in understanding. He doesn't want to learn anything. He doesn't want to sit back and let people who know what they're talking about speak and then maybe glean something from them. His point is is he wants to just express his heart, you know he just wants to express his heart, he just wants to talk, and that's the point he's making here. He would prefer to give his own opinion rather than acquire wisdom. okay, now look at the issue uh again, the issue of sin now, verse three, when the wicked come when the wicked comes, contempt comes also. And with dishonor comes reproach. Here's the point. Contempt and disgrace come with wickedness. Contempt and disgrace come with wickedness. Listen, when you have somebody who's engaging, or if you engage in activities that you know are wrong, with that there are going to be some things that come with that. Contempt. Contempt for an individual Contempt for the one who's doing that and dishonor. Dishonour. Now let me just stop for a moment. Have you ever noticed and I'll talk about pastors for a moment. I've known some men who have fallen into sexual sin ministers. And the the hardest thing for them to understand is they for some reason think that they can keep being a pastor. But what happens is is nobody else sees them that way anymore. Now, rather than looking up to the individual or being guided by that individual, how do people look at somebody like like let's say if I if, if let's say I went bananas and it had to be bananas and got caught in an affair? How would you what would that do to you? Okay, you couldn't trust me. Okay, can't say couldn't trust me. What would do, what would it do to you? Betty said, lost testimony, lose your witness. What would that do to you? Lou says no respect, wouldn't you? You'd be mad? would you it would crush you? Anybody else? Contempt. Now, what if you heard me say, Well, hey, David was forgiven. Do you see what I'm saying? This is the point that Solomon is making. Contempt and disgrace come with wickedness. That's why pastors can't get back in the pulpit. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's something that happens. The whole essence of who they are, do you understand? The very basis of who they are is built upon their moral character. If their moral character is not there, do you understand what I'm saying? If their moral character is not there, they don't have a platform if you understand what i'm saying they don't have a platform that's why i think the scriptures are very clear in their qualifications like when it says that an elder is to be a husband of one wife that's talking about sexual purity there that's talking about sexual purity so you lose your whole moral character for being who you are and so again how would you respond to that would you be happy Here's the the sad thing. Some would be forgiving and some would say, oh, well, he's a great guy. He's got the gifts. Let him get back in the pulpit. But most would say what? There would be contempt, would not there? There would be contempt. Okay? All right, let's go on. We're back to the issue of speech now. Look at verse 4. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The wellspring of wisdom is a flowing brook. Now, here's the point. The words of the wise are an unending supply of blessing and counsel. Listen, you want to be a person of encouragement to people? Remember we talked to you, remember I told you before, Proverbs talks to us about that your words will bring either life or death. Your words will either build up or tear down. Now here it's talking about that the that the words of the wise are a source of blessing for people. Alright? You want to be that kind of person? The implication out of this verse is that then you need to be a man and woman of wisdom. You need to seek wisdom. You need to seek understanding. You need to do all you can to gain it. So that when you speak to people, you can give them wisdom. Not just your opinions. Do you understand what I'm saying? So that you can give them guidance. And when you give them guidance, guess what? That's a source of blessing to them. In fact, let me give you an impression of what I'm talking about. How many of you have had individuals that you know that you could always go to them for advice because you've gone to them before and they've always told you something good, something right, and you just knew I could go to that person and talk to that person. Is they're a person of wisdom. And when you talk to them, how do you feel? You always feel better. How many of you got somebody have had somebody like that in your life? I've had individuals like that in my life. That you knew when you went to them, there was wisdom there. This is what Solomon's talking about here. Notice what he says here. Look again with me. Verse 4. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. A wellspring of wisdom is a flowing brook. So it comes out of their heart, out of the essence of who they are. Wisdom. All right, let's go on. The issue of injustice. Look at verse 5. It is not good to show partiality to the wicked or to overthrow the righteous in judgment. All right, again, it is reprehensible to pervert justice. It is reprehensible to pervert justice. So, that's pretty self-evident there from that verse. Now, look verse 6 through 8. We're going to spend three verses talking about the issue of speech again. Three different components of speech. Look with me now at verse 6, the issue of inviting trouble. A fool's lips enter into contention, and his mouth calls for blows. Okay, now here's, here's what it says. Foolish people get themselves into trouble by what they say. You ever talk to somebody and they were just a plain fool and, and all they did was just make you mad? And you just wanted to slap them. I'm just being honest. How I'm, I'm many, I'll raise my hand. Come on, be honest. Alright? That is what Solomon is talking about. Look at what he says here. A fool's lips, what? A fool's mouth, A fool's lips enter into contention. So, a fool's lips are going to enter him into an argument, a quarrel. And what? And his mouth calls for blows. It's like his mouth is saying, please hit me. It's like an invitation. Slap me. Yes, that's a good way of saying it. Yes, he's asking for it. Okay? So, okay, so it, it... Here's the implication for you and I. Sometimes our mouth, if we're not thinking about what we're saying, we are inviting what? Trouble. So again, getting back to the whole issue of being in control. Someone who just speaks their mind, a Buddhist person, that's more a, a reality of who they are and their lack of control, their lack, not controlling their emotions and everything, and it just gets them into what? Trouble. Okay, now look at the issue. Of verse 7, the issue of consequences concerning our speech. It just doesn't invite trouble. Now there is an issue of consequences for what we say. So let me just stop. Before I read you this proverb, let me remember the old proverb that you know. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but what? Names, words will never, what? Hurt me. Remember that one? Completely wrong. You would rather be beat up with sticks and stones, right? At least you can heal from that soon. Words, what, stick with you. Words have consequences. So listen to what Solomon says. A fool's mouth is his destruction and his lips are are the snare of his soul. So here, what a fool says can ruin him. What a fool says can ruin him. How many of you have seen people literally destroy their life just by what they've said? They've shot their credibility. They've made foolish statements. They have destroyed relationships. They maybe even have destroyed a marriage. Simply because of their words. because they didn't know how to control their tongue, so they said something foolish. They have destroyed relationships with their children because maybe they said the wrong thing to their kids when they shouldn't have said that. They didn't even mean it, but they said it in jest, but the child didn't know that. The child wasn't mature enough to even grasp their humor. Did you, you see what I'm saying? What you say, there are consequences to what you say. You know, there are things you can get back, aren't there? You can always take stuff back, but you can't take back your words, can you? Just remember the last time you fought as a couple. And later on, you regretted what you said. You can't take that back, can you? You wish you could. You wish you could. But you can't. You can't take it back. There are consequences. Consequences. And now, verse 8 talks about the issue of gossip. The words of a talebearer are like hasty trifles. They go down into the inner inmost body. They go down into inmost body. Here's the point. People delight in listening to gossip. Is that news to you? No. Think about it for a moment. Why do we have shows on TV? you got your news shows, although the news are starting to get involved with it too, but then you've got the show after the news show that talks about everything that's going on in the lives of people at, where? In Hollywood or New York, okay, or over in London, all right? You go to the Walmart check-through, and they got all the candy bars there, but on the other side of the candy bar, there's a whole bunch of magazines there. There's National Enquirer. There's all those other, Globe, whatever they are. And, of course, there's the one that talks about the Martians, too, okay? Um, but, you know, you got all those there, all right? Now, why... I mean, you you look and say, man, why do they have that here? Because somebody's buying it. Have you been to the doctor's office lately and looked at all the magazines, and there's a few what there? There's a few of those tabloid things there. Why? Because people enjoy what? Yeah, they enjoy gossip. Can I be honest with you? The reason why gossip happens is not because somebody gossips. There's always going to be tailbearers. And the reason why gossip would happen in a church is not because there are gossips in a church. There are gossips in a church. We have gossips here. You know? I don't know who they are, but uh, we don't need to know who they are. But the reason why gossip happens is not because of the person who bears the tail. It's because of what? People Listen. That's the reason. This is the point that Solomon is making. The focus of what he's talking about here is not the person who is bearing the tail. The focus is, is that people like what? Dirt. So you can be in a crowded room and there would be a whole lot of noise going on. And I could come over here and I'd say, hey, Tom, man. You will believe what I know about Ken, and the world will get silent, and everybody's... It's like E.F. Hutton spoke, right? <laughs> so then I make it a prayer request. Pray for Ken. <laughs> then we pray him in the back, right? Right? Isn't that true? You know that true? Let me just stop for a moment. Let me give you a lesson about gossip. When God reveals something to you, you want to write this down there are one of two ways to respond to it. When God reveals something to you, there are one of two ways to respond to it. The way that God wants you to respond to it is to pray about it. So, for instance, let's say God showed me something laid on my heart or I see something about Roth. What God wants me to do, because he allowed me to see it about Rod, is one of two things. He wants me to pray about it and lift up, Lord, I want to pray for my brother Rod. He's going through this situation or he's, you know, whatever. Or, as the Bible me, to go to Rod and talk to him about it. Now, that's the first response. That's what God wants you to do. But Satan always has a opposite to what God wants you to do. Because Satan doesn't want you praying about it, what he will do then is because you have that natural tendency to want to share with somebody what you know, and it's a natural tendency. Can I just be honest with you? It's natural. If you don't share it with God, you're going to share it with somebody else. And so, what can happen is is I'll go over here to Jack and say, you know, hey Jack, you know, man, we need to. And because we're Christian, we'll couch it. Jack, we really need to pray for Rod over here. You won't believe what I saw Rod doing. You know? You know? You won't believe what I saw Rod doing. He had a chicken sandwich instead of a cheeseburger. You know? I'm just being ridiculous for the moment. But I mean, you understand what I'm saying? And you know what? And here's what happens. And this is how it happens. So then Jack calls Tom. George shared a prayer request with me. We need to pray for Rod. He's given up chicken. Or he's given up cheeseburgers or whatever, you know. And, you know, do you understand? Tom shares it in 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 a Bible study. We need to pray for Rod. He's an elder at the church and, you know, and he's not doing right. You know, he's just not doing... He's got a gluttony problem, You know. And, and it gets embellished a little bit. Do you understand? And guess what? Does anybody pray? Nobody prays. See, there's one way of two responses you can give to knowing information. You can pray about it. Or you can, what? Talk about it. Which way do we normally do? Yeah, we talk about it, don't we? Why? Because it says it right here. Look at what it says. The words of a tail bearer, bearer are like tasty trifles. Boy, it sure does, it just does you good to hear, doesn't it? And they go down to the innermost body, inmost body. Okay, let's go on laziness now. He who is slothful, verse 9, in his work, is a brother to him who is a great destroyer. Here's the point. Laziness is destructive. You say, what do you mean it's destructive? You're not doing anything. How can that be destructive? You'd be surprised how it can be destructive. Because you can destroy a lot of things by laziness. You can destroy your reputation. You can destroy your well-being. You can destroy your family. Because think about what you're teaching, teaching your family. Can I be honest with you? Laziness is taught. Does everybody understand me? And if that was the home that you grew up in, where that was evident to you, because I, I'm an observer. As a pastor, I get to observe people. All right? I get to observe people. And you can tell homes, and you can, and, and especially as a pastor, you get to see several different generations because you interact in a community, especially if you've been there a while. You can see homes where, oh yeah, that home, they taught a work ethic because every one of them works like a dog. But they have something. But then you can also see generationally, one family after another, where they don't do anything. And it perpetuates itself. It just continues in that cycle. Now, there are exceptions. We're talking generals, generalizations here. Where you might have a working home, but you got one boy that's just plain lazy. You know? But the point is, is that laziness can be destructive. Let's go on to the issue of security. Two verses here about the issue of security. Look at verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are saved. I think there was a chorus. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. And here's the point. The Lord is fully able to protect those who trust in Him. Let me just stop for a moment. This is not what the verse is saying. The verse is not saying that when you're in the midst of a problem, cry out His name, Jehovah, and you're going to be okay. That is not what it's saying. I want you to understand something. In the Old Testament, and even in the New Testament, a person's name reflected who they are, so for instance, a lot of children were not named immediately when they were born. they were named in their right after they were weaned after people were aware of their character. so for instance, when Jacob was called Jacob, which means heel grabber, all right, there's a reason why he was called that. Because of the essence of who he was as a person. He was a shyster. So, now, here we do a little bit different in our culture. We name them Bill, Bob, or whatever. Or if your wife doesn't like those traditional names, then you go and, give, and name them something else. you know. And we don't do that. We have our own reasons for the way we name But we don't name them. For instance, remember Jabez in Chronicles? Jabez means Pain. He was obviously given that name during a very painful period in his mother's life. Maybe from childbirth. Maybe he caused her pain when he gave birth to her. Or maybe there was pain during that time in that family structure that his name was called Jabez. So How would you like to be called pain? You now, we might tell each other you're a pain. But how would you like to be called pain? But here's the point. All right, so we're deviating here. So when you talk about the name of the Lord as a strong tower, you're talking about the essence of who He is, His character. And listen, not one name reflects every aspect of who God is. God has many names. So for some, He may be the Lord our banner. That is, He's leading the banner in our fight. Or to some, He is the Lord our peace. Jehovah Shalom. I was just reading that in Judges this week. The whole point is, is that God's name, the essence of who He is, what? You can trust in Him. That's where you find your refuge. The God of all comfort. There's another name for God. So that's what He's saying here. Now, look here, again, the issue of security. So, our security is found in the person of who? God. The person of God. All right, now, the issue of wealth. Wealthy people often assume that their wealth brings what? Security. Look at what it says here, verse 11. The rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his own esteem. So, here he's just talking a general piece of wisdom that, For most folks, the wealthy often assume that their wealth will bring them security. And to a point, yes, it can. It can. There are some downsides to wealth, and we've talked about that before through the Proverbs. Look at verse 12 now, the issue of humility. Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty, and before honor is humility. So, the way to honor is through humility. The way to honor a person is through your your humbleness. Through your humility. Look at verse 13 now, the issue of speech. He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. Now here, this is a great verse. You want to put a star by this one. Speaking hastily leads to shame. Again, speaking hastily. And here, this is this is exactly what he's talking about. Let's say, My friend Tom here is talking to me. And Tom says, Well, you know, George, I was driving down the road. Listen, Tom, what you need to do is this. Well, that's not what I'm saying, George. I was, you know, I was driving down the road and and well, okay, you need to take it to a repairman. I wasn't talking about my, you know, and and I'm I'm answering him. I'm not even listening to him, am I? And when I speak What's going on? Who brings, where's the shame go to? Is it Tom? No, Tom's bringing his hand in exasperation. He just wants to talk and tell me what's going on. He maybe wanted to say he was driving down the the Highway and saw a bald eagle. I'm sitting there telling him what he needs to do. I haven't listened to him completely. What does that say? Speaking hastily leads to shame. Speaking hastily leads to shame. Okay, look at verse 14. The spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness. And who can bear a broken spirit? A healthy spirit brings healing to the body. A healthy spirit brings healing to the body. You know, over the years I have watched this. Over the years I have watched this. As long as people have a will to live, but as soon as they lose that will, what happens? They die. You know, they die. And, and that's, that's a point here of uh, wisdom that Solomon is giving to us here. Look at the issue of knowledge, verse 15. The heart of the prudent acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. So here's the point. Those who are wise, those who are wise, eagerly seek for knowledge. Those who are wise, eagerly seek for knowledge. So listen, do you ever arrive, as far as your understanding of things, No, the fact that you would say that reveals that you don't know anything. You understand? The fact that you would say that you know everything or you know all there is to know about that reveals that you don't know everything. Can I tell you something? Let me just help you out here, couples. Don't ever say you know your spouse. You know what I'm saying? Because they will surprise you. Just, think, just when you think you know them, they'll make you look foolish. You know what I'm saying? They will. See, those who are wise eagerly seek for knowledge. Look now at verse 16, the issue of gifts. A man's gifts, gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. One may gain influence through gifts. Hey, you're seeing this played out on your TV screen. You're seeing this, it doesn't matter what the party is, whether you're Republican or Democrat or you're an independent or whatever. If you've got a, the bigger the campaign contribution, the better the picture. Isn't it true? We've seen that this week, you know. People talking about this guy and he's a crook. Well, weren't you in a picture with him? Well, I've taken thousands of pictures. Well, that meant you took thousands of checks, you know. You know, and the whole point is, and what I want you to see there is, is that gifts, that's what Solomon is talking about. One may gain influence through gifts. You know, one may gain influence through gifts. Look at the issue of justice. Verse 17. The first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. Here's the point. There must be cross-examination to settle legal disputes. That's the whole point of law, isn't it? Things can't be one-sided in court, can they? Now, they may seem that way because we're dealing with fallible human beings and so forth. But the point of the passage here is is that what one guy shares may seem right until his neighbor comes and what? Asks some questions. Okay, that's the whole point there. Look now at the issue of disputes. And we see verse 18, casting lots causes contentions to cease, and keeps the mighty apart. The yes or no decision given by lots can help avoid ongoing conflict. What is this talking about here? In their day, they often made decisions by casting lots, whether it was some sticks or or a version of dice or something. That's how they made decisions back then, is whatever the lots said. And you'll read that in the Scripture. They'll cast a lot to select someone or something. And so that's the whole point that it's saying there. Now, here's the look at verse 19. A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. And contentions are like the bars of a castle. All right, here's the point. Serious disputes create insurmountable barriers among friends. And I would even add families. Here's what Solomon saying. It's easy for you to take a city in battle than for you to overcome a brother who's mad at you. You know what I mean? And you say, what are you talking about? How many of you have had family disputes? I think we've all had at some point, haven't we? And even when you think you're over it, are you really over it? I mean, it could be 20 years later after it happens and you think everything's okay and you're sitting back chewing down on a turkey wing or a turkey leg or something at Thanksgiving and you say, oh, well, you know, yeah, we had that dispute, but it all worked out. What do you mean? It's still fresh. It's easier to take a building, the Scripture says. I mean, take a city than for you to deal with someone. So, when you have serious disputes. See, this is the reason why the Bible talks about you don't let things get out of hand. Remember last week we talked about it as it being like the release of water? You can't let things get out of hand because when, the longer they get out of hand, and especially, can I be honest with you, you let years go by. Years go by. You can't, how in the world are you going to settle that issue? People's memories fail. Why? Well, a good memory? Yeah, well, you may have a good memory, but they may have a bad memory. And in their bad memory, they're adding dreams into their memory. See the point? Okay, let's close our time of pray and get ready for the morning worship service.